Well, good morning. Um, we're going to go a little bit old school here. And uh, was someone complaining and going old school? Um, and uh, we're going to have a Bible study together. We're actually going to read the Bible, dig into it, look at what it says, what it means. And uh, we're going to be really greatly benefited from doing that. Um, but uh, it's really been on my heart to... Um, really jump in and look at what we're about to uh, go into this morning. Um, you know, we were singing earlier about show me your glory. And Fee was inviting us to, to ask the question, what does it look like when the glory of God is shown to us? And I think if our minds begin to explore what it's like when his nature and attributes are actually made to be manifested in our lives and around us, it's a pretty exciting thought. When we think of what the character and nature of God would look like, like if it's expressed completely and fully in my life. If it's expressed completely and fully in us as a church. I think we would see relationships transformed. I think when we have a healing meeting, we would most likely see what Jesus saw when everyone who came to ask for healing was healed. I think we would see poverty that was overtaken and crushed. I think we would see minds transformed and complete health and wholeness come to us. And so after the healing meeting last week, I was just really prompted to dig into and go through in a really practical way with us together how we can learn to live in this place of fullness and victory where that which God has spoken is something that we can access and receive and live in. So that is what we're going to do this morning. All right, so let's pray before we uh, jump in here. Thank you, Father. Father, we just thank you this morning for who you are. I thank you, Lord, that my life is determined by who you are and not who I am or what I've done but providing I am faithful to see you and accept you, that then your life is what dictates the paths of my life, Father. And so I ask that for all of us, for myself and everyone here, as we, as we look into your holy scriptures this morning, as we see what you have said about who you are and who we are, that we are transformed by that, that we're changed by the words that you've spoken. Father, let not a single life be left out this morning and let not a single person leave here without experiencing the transforming power of your Holy Spirit when we choose to partner with your truth, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And help me too, amen. All right, so if you wanna um, follow along with me here, I am gonna read a couple of uh, scriptures. And we're going to jump in, and then at the end of it, we're going to take, uh, we're going to receive communion together. And so we're going to first of all read from 1 Corinthians 15. I don't know why anybody any anymore says to people, "Why don't you follow in your Bibles?" Because we always have the scriptures up here, so we can do that. Sometimes it's nice to kind of look at what was said before or what was said after when we read together. But so here we have Apostle Paul, amazing man. And here is what he is saying. He begins the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians in the first verse by saying this. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, 
which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. And so he begins this whole chapter by saying, I want to remind you about the gospel which I preach to you. And sometimes in life, um, all we need to get over a hump in the road is to remind ourselves of something which has already been said. And so the Apostle Paul is speaking to the Corinthians and he's, he's recognizing they're in a time when they need to remember things which have already been said. They didn't need to hear anything new. They didn't need a change in circumstances. They need to remember that which has already been said. And then he goes on um, in, on the ninth and 10th verse to say the following things this is what we're going to focus on. He talked a little bit about his life here. And he says this, talking about himself, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. So he's talking about all the apostles. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And so you get an, incent, ins, uh, an insight into the life of this man here who speaks of himself as someone who is not worthy of the commission that he's been given. He, he speaks of himself as someone who, who um, was formerly a terrible person. He says, I persecuted the church of God. But then, having come from that place and being that person, he describes this procedure. He describes this operation which enabled him to become what he was. And he talks about this amazing grace. And he talks about this grace of God which came to him and had great effect. And he says this strange passage here. He says, I worked harder. I think he's saying, as a result of where I came from, of what I was, I worked harder than anyone else in my position. Yet, Actually, I didn't work harder. It was the grace of God which in me which, which did it. And to tell you a story to illustrate some of this, um, Diana was sharing with me, as she sometimes does, a Facebook post, which usually I dismiss before even hearing anything that is said subsequently. But at this time, I chose to actually pay attention and listen. Um, and it was about this guy, I think he was in Germany, um, who had a unique way of commuting to work in the morning. Some of you may have seen this. I think it had like 18 million views. And this guy goes to work um, by the river, by swimming. Um, and and like, he, he puts his work clothes in this waterproof bag that he just like tugs along behind him, and he swims off to work. He floats to work. And it reminded me, I think this was actually in the Rhine, of one time when I was... Uh, on vacation with my family in Switzerland, and um, we went and stayed with this family, and uh, I ended up being in that very same river. Now, this is a really weird story. Um, Europeans as a whole, as many of you know, are a bit strange. Uh, there are some here, but like the, the Swiss and the Germans, um, even more so. We went to visit this, this um, Maya, no, no, uh, no offense, uh, intended there. We went to visit uh, this family where my sister was staying with. So I'd been on a train for a long time, and 
And so this guy that she was staying with in Switzerland came to pick us up from the train. Now, if it were you and I and we were in America, if someone was going to pick us up from the train, they would come in a car. If you've been traveling for a while, and they would put you in a car and you would drive back um, to where you were staying. Um, now, this man, I don't remember his name, uh, he didn't come in a car, he came on a bicycle. Um, and he was just picking me up. And so he had cycled to the station, and he had with him a second bicycle, <laughs> which as he was riding, he just held the handlebars. So he was riding a bike and bringing a bike for me to cycle back to his house on. Um, and that would have been okay if his house was at the bottom of a hill, but in fact, it was at the top of a hill. And so there I was a bit... You know, I had a big backpack, I was a bit weary from my journey, and so I cycled uphill to this man's house. Um, that was the first um, part of his hospitality. But anyway, um, he had announced to us at the church, he was part of a church there that was related to the church I was in, was, was going to go to the river, to the Rhine. It's a huge river, it starts in Switzerland and goes all the way through Germany and comes out into the uh, ocean. The, they were going to go to the river and like to swim and travel down the river. And so I thought, this is kind of cool. So we went down to the Rhine. Now, the Rhine is like about half a mile wide. Um, it's super deep, but it's really clear. There's like no pollution. And so people in the church began to kind of, you know, get their trunks on or whatever. They got into the river. And this is like a kind of glorified European float trip. Um, some people had boats. Some people had kayaks, canoes. But then a variety of us, we just had to swim. So I said to this guy, um, I said, okay, where are we, like, where are we ending up here? Are we going to swim like, across the river or are we just swim, swimming down here? And he announced to me we were going to another town which was 10 miles down the river. <laughs> so after my uphill um, bicycle experience, I was really upset about this whole thing. So the water, though, was kind of warm. It was a hot summer's day in August. And so I ventured out into the river, knowing that ahead of me was a 10-mile swim. And the people that are ahead of me, some of them on tubes and stuff, were all happy and, like, really cheery. Um, and I was trying to figure out why. And as I got towards the center of the river, I realized that this river flows fast. And I began to realize that this 10-mile swim wasn't a 10-mile swim, but all I needed to do to get where I wanted to go is cooperate with the current. And in fact, just being in the river and being afloat was pretty much all I needed to do. And as I got out to the river, um, I began to just relax and float, and the current, which is like 10 miles an hour, was just taking us all, and we were floating down, and we began to have conversations, and it didn't take long before I realized this 10 miles is going to go by really fast. And you would go past a buoy in the water, and you'd realize how fast you were going, but it didn't seem like I was going fast. Occasionally, I would just, you know, paddle away to make sure I stayed in the center of the river. And before long, we ended up in our destination. Not because I had to do a whole ton of work, but because I positioned myself in a place where something else did the work for me. And provided I made sure that I was in the right place, it wasn't I that was doing it, but someone else was doing the work for me. There's a place that we can enter into in the grace of God where if we will position ourselves 
and we will ensure we're in the right place, we can experience what Paul did, that a tremendous amount of progress can be made, not because of all my dogged effort, but because I'm placing myself behind someone who does the work and enables me to get to where I need to go. And that is what we're talking about this morning. That is a place that every one of us can access. And this is what Paul learned to access. So the question is, and we're going to look at this today, how do we access that grace? What are the obstacles that, pre that prevent us from getting into the river and being taken to where we need to go? And how do we ensure that we overcome those obstacles? So let's look at it together. This Paul later is speaking to the Philippians, and we're going to look at a passage here. Um, he, he was writing to the church in Philippi while he is in prison. And it's really an amazing book because he's talking about all that God has called him to do and all that he wants to do. Um, but he is writing to the church from a place of captivity and being in chains. And we, it seems like what he's wanting and where he's wanting to go in life is going to be impossible to happen. But he gives us a key to how he was able to get to where he wants to go and how we too can get there when he ends up giving kind of a parting charge to the Philippians in chapter 4 and verse 8 and 9. Um, and we're going to read it together. He says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, we're going to break this down here and look into the detail of, of how Paul actually made this verse work. This is the type of thing often I read, I'm like, oh, that's awesome, I just think about nice things, and it's, I, you know, I just think of the sound of music, um, and what is that song? <laughs> These are just some of my favorite things, um, and so often that's the lens that we think about it. it it's, it's like this mind of a matter thing, and that is not what he's talking about here. So Paul, from in, in Philippians, he says to the Philippians, he, sa he says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, him being in prison, has actually served to advance the gospel. He then goes on and says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So here you have this man called to evangelize the nations. He is imprisoned. So this seems like his circumstances are impossible. Yet what he says about his circumstances, it actually is going to turn out for the good. How? Because he learned to do what we're about to practice here. Let's have that back up here if we can. So what I want to do is go through and look at the lens through which Paul looked at his life. And what I have been learning is a lens through which I can look at my life so that I can have the experiences of Paul. And you have a man here that was experienced great opposition and oppression, great trauma, and yet he overcame it. And so let's look at how he did, he did it. Here's what he did. 
when he was facing a situation, he learned to look at that situation through this lens. And so what we're going to do is actually practice doing that now. I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to tell you um, how it's done and what it means. But first of all, let's break down this passage and look at what these things actually mean. So finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true. So he's telling us to dwell on these things. So whatever is true. So the word true there literally means something that is unconcealed or it's made manifest. So when we're looking at our lives, we have to be able to recognize what is actually true. There are things, it would be suggested from the scripture, that are concealed to us. And the fact that they're concealed holds us back from entering into them. They need to be unconcealed so that we can see the truth and then we can respond to it. He goes on to say, whatever is noble, something that's noble is something that inspires reverence and awe, something that is fantastic. And so when Paul was thinking about his circumstances, I believe that he chose to dwell on the awesomeness of who God is, and so that he could look at his circumstances through the light of who God is. And it changed how he thought about it. We're going to get into a little practice in a second here, but I want to first go through these definitions. <clears throat> Whatever is right. So the old English here for, uh, for this word is right-wise, from which we get righteous, and it just means something which is in keeping with God's law and God's ways. He dwelt on things which are in keeping with God's law and God's ways. Something which is pure. Everybody say pure. Now say pure. Everyone say water. Now say water. Say pure water. We could do this for hours. Pure water. Okay. My kids still make fun of me when we're going through a drive-thru and I ask for water because after 22 years of trying, I've given up and I, it'll go like this, you know, we'll order whatever and I say, yeah, I can have a water too. And I said, I'm sorry. Uh, water, please. Uh, I'm sorry. And then they'll name something which doesn't sound anything like water. And I'll go, oh, never mind, I'll just take a water. And, uh, it's, uh, and then I, get, I finally get what I want. Um, but whatever is pure. Okay, so what is pure? pure something that is pure is something, uh, for the root word here, it is without mixture. There is nothing else mixed in with it. So, for example, if I think about the love of God towards me, the love of God towards me is a perfect and pure love. There is no mixture in it. It is only good. It is only loving. It only wants the best. It only believes the best. It keeps no record of the wrongs that I've done. The love of God towards me and your is you is completely pure. So when I'm dwelling upon what God thinks about me, I must dwell upon this through his lens and not my own. And this is the lens that Paul has given us. Whatever is lovely, prosphilis, which literally means whatever is towards love, whichever results in love. Then what is ever a good repute, which is just a good report, something that's well spoken of. And then the outcome of these things is that we would have peace. 
And so this is an exercise which we can use in life, which is what I use in life. And I believe this is an exercise that Paul used where he learned to put into practice submitting what he was feeling and what his circumstances said to him, submitting those things to the, to the truth of God's word. And it's a practice we're going to look at now, and we're going to actually practice this. Okay, So for Paul, it went a little bit like this. Um, in Philippians, there he was sitting in a prison cell with everything against him, and he was constrained when his mission was to go and preach the gospel. So what that would naturally do is make us feel deflated. It would make us feel depressed. And so he's feeling these things about his situation. But when he's feeling these things, he has to ask himself, what is actually true about what I'm feeling? Just because I'm feeling a certain way, is that the truth in the situation? And he has a choice to make here. He can either conclude that what he's feeling and his circumstances are most important, or he can choose to access, let's keep that scripture up here, and ask himself, what is true about my situation? And I believe he went on a journey, and he committed his mind to determine what is true and then his actions followed what he believed is true. So I'm calling this the pure process. Okay, We're going to put this up here. Here's what we do when we're in a situation in life when we recognize that there's something holding us back. So it could happen this way. We recognize, I am afraid, I am fearful of a particular thing or situation. I am getting angry regarding a particular situation, person, or thing. I'm getting frustrated. And these are our clues that we have an opportunity to do what Paul did and use the pure exercise. So here's what we do. Number one, I had to, I had to try and to make this fit. Um, so I have a probe. The first thing we do is probe. Okay? We measure our thoughts and feelings. So a probe, I looked up the definition of this. It's really interesting. Um, a probe is a blunt-edged surgical instrument used for exploring a wound or part of the body. It's also a small device, especially an electrode, used for measuring, testing, and obtaining information. So we need to learn to recognize what it is we're feeling so that when we can... Um, we can then know what we need to do about those thoughts. So we have to probe what we're feeling so we can articulate these things. Number one, if you don't know why you're anxious or why you're frustrated, why you're angry, you're not going to be able to do anything about it. So number one, we have to probe. So number two, we then have to unconceal. So this is using Paul's whatever is true. So we need to conclude what is actually true. We have to unconceal the truth. So let's like act this out here. Let's say, I'm going to make this really simple, and we're going to give a more extreme example. So let's say, as a child, I'm a child right now, I am afraid of dogs. So actually, as a child, we had a dog which went and 
bit someone's arm, which is really distressing when I was about four years of age. And so this was actually my experience. So if I'm somebody that's really afraid of dogs, and I'm wandering around here, and I see this sign, then this is going to cause me anxiety. I'm like, what the heck? Is there a dog under there? Is there a dog crate? And so I, I need to first understand what is going on here. I am concerned and I'm anxious because I'm afraid of something that may be. So I recognize that I have a fear. But now I need to actually un- I need to unconceal the truth about what I'm afraid of. What does God say about what I am afraid of? Well, he says that he has never leave me or forsake me, that he will always be with me, that he will never put me in a situation but, but which is beyond that which I can bear, and he is my protector. So whether my feelings or circumstances, where they're kind of all in turmoil here, I have a choice to unconceal what God has said about the situation. And as I dwell on what God's truth is, it begins to deal with that natural fear and anxiety. And so, then as I begin to trust in God, I am no longer so concerned about the thing that caused me fear. So in Paul's situation, let's apply it to him. Here he was in prison. He's called to preach the gospel to the nations. He's stuck there. He's in prison, and it seems like he can't do what he's called to do. But what has God said about his situation? He begins to recall to himself the promises God has made him, that, I, that you are to be a light to the Gentiles. He begins to go over in his mind what God has said, and now he's at a decision point. He can either choose to submit to him what he's feeling in his, his circumstances, or he can submit to what God has actually said. And he unconceals that which is really truth, which is what God has said. And now he begins to build himself up on this. And the outcome for him was that what seemed like it was going to be the thing that held him back actually propelled him forward. He then testified that basically everyone in the jail got saved. People were beginning to see that what he preached about was true. And he eventually gets released. And so as you dwell on what what God has actually said and what really is true, you're no longer afraid of the things which can cause you anxiety. And once you're no longer afraid you're often able to actually unconceal the reality and you discover that you didn't actually need to be afraid in the the first place. It's just a stuffed animal. Here's the dog here. And so we get ourselves worked up so much because we feel like the enemy is attacking us and the devil is coming and this great thing and it feels like we've been attacked and then we read he's like a lion. It seems like he's a roaring lion, but all he is is like a lion. And when we actually unconceal what the truths are, we realize all we have to be worried about is this here. We are as bold as a lion, but he is like a lion. And so we have to unconceal that truth. Now, once we have unconcealed what is really true, we need to, number three, respond. And this is a point which many people never get past. Because once I've recognized what God has said is 
true about my situation. Now the onus is on me. It's not on anybody else. I can't put it on my circumstances. I can't put it on what I feel. It is entirely on me. I now have to do what Paul says and put into practice that which I have known. Put into practice. I should have read that, but I did not, I guess. I'm sorry, yes. Um, Verse 9, whatever you have learned or received and heard from me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. This is a difference between growing to maturity and staying immature, is when we're faced with truth, do we respond to that truth, or do we stay and align ourselves with our feelings and our circumstances? That's the definition of the mature person, is one who hears the word of God, as James says, be doers of the word and not merely hearers. And As we learn to respond according to what we know, and we hold that higher than what we feel or see, then we receive grace from God, because actually to do that is to be humble, to choose to say, God, you know more than me, so I'm going to choose to believe what you said. That's what it is to be humble. It's proud when we say, I feel like what I I think and feel matters more than what God says. That's the proud person. But God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So when we can respond to his truth, now we start to get that grace. Now we're in the river. We're where Paul is. And now we're getting this current that's moving us along. And we're going forward because we've made a decision. I'm going to choose to respond to what you have said is true. It doesn't matter what I feel like or what my circumstances are, but what you've said, I accept to be true. I'm going to put that into practice. So that happens when it's over issues of healing. That happens over choices we've made. That happens over attitudes of our heart. That happens in restoring relationships. Are we going to do what we know to be true and right? Or are we going to respond to what we feel and what the circumstances seem to indicate to us? I can't love my spouse because they have done this. That is what I feel like. What is the truth in that situation? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is right, dwell on these things. Okay, so this is my situation. What does God say about it? What does he say about my situation? I I'm able to overcome every obstacle in my way. I am able to be full of his power and grace. The spirit of Christ dwells in me. He that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. Am I going to be overtaken by my circumstances? Do I have to submit to those? Or can I put myself in that place and choose to rely on what God has said and receive that grace that comes and fills my sails. This is the decision point between immaturity and maturity, to be doers of the word. It's the respond in the pure analogy. So, firstly, (coughs) probe. We measure our thoughts and feelings so we can know what's really going on. And we can't run from it. It's better to know really how you feel and be honest about it than, than run away from it. We unconceal 
what is actually true. God, what have you said about this situation? And then we respond. And then the promise of Paul in verse 9, number 4, is enjoy. And the peace of God will be with you when you act in faith. So, I don't want this to be heavy <laughs> uh, this morning. This is, this is a, an exercise that brings power and release for us. It's a way we can look at our lives and determine where we actually stand and measure ourselves by the Word of God. Because the Word of God is here to give us freedom and we can enter into that freedom when we respond to our situation just like Paul did. And so that's what we want to do this morning. That's what we want to do as we go on from here. We want to be a people who can practice choosing to determine our course by what God has said and not by what we see or what we feel.